0: Caesar Augustus part 2 of the lives of the 12 Caesars by Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the lives of the 12 Caesars by Gaius Suetonius Tranquilius, translated by Alexander Thomson and edited by T Forrester Caesar Augustus part 2 paragraphs 18 through 32 at this time he had a desire to see the sarcophagus and body of alexander the great which for that purpose were taken out of the cell in which they rested and after viewing them for some time he paid honors to the memory of that prince by offering a golden crown and scattering flowers upon the body being asked if he wished to see the tombs of the ptolemies also he replied i wish to see a king not dead men he reduced Egypt into the form of a province, and to render it more fertile, and more capable of supplying Rome with corn, he employed his army to scour the canals, into which the Nile, upon its rise, discharges itself, but which, during a long series of years, had become nearly choked up with mud. To perpetuate the glory of his victory at Actium, he built the city of Nicopolis on that part of the coast, and established games to be celebrated there every five years, Enlarging likewise an old temple of Apollo, he ornamented with naval trophies the spot on which he pitched his camp, and consecrated it to Neptune and Mars. He afterwards quashed several tumults and insurrections, as well as several conspiracies against his life, which were discovered by the confession of accomplices before they were ripe for execution, and others subsequently. Such were those of the younger Lepidus, of Varro Morina and Fanius Capio, that of Marcus Ignatius, and afterwards of Plautius Rufus, and of Lucius Paulus, his granddaughter's husband, and besides these, another of Lucius Alcedius, an old feeble man, who was under prosecution for forgery, and also of Ascinius Epicatus, a Parthenian mongrel, and at last, that of Telfus, a lady's prompter for he was in danger of his life from the plots and conspiracies of some of the lowest of the people against him. Alsatius and Epicadus had formed the design of carrying off to the armies his daughter Julia, and his grandson Agrippa, from the islands in which they were confined. Telfis, wildly dreaming that the government was destined to him by the fates, proposed to fall both upon Octavius and the senate. Nay, once a soldier's servant, belonging to the army in Illyricum, having passed the porter's unobserved, was found in the night time standing before his chamber door, armed with a hunting dagger. Whether the person was really disordered in the head, or only counterfeited madness, is uncertain, for no confession was obtained from him by torture. He conducted in person only two foreign wars, the Dalmatian, whilst he was but a youth, and, after Antony's final defeat, the Cantabrian. He was wounded in the former of these wars, In one battle he received a contusion in the right knee from a stone, in another he was much hurt, in one leg and both arms, by the fall of a fridge. His other wars he carried on by his lieutenants, but occasionally visited the army, in some of the wars of Pannonia in Germany, or remained no great distance, proceeding from Rome as far as Ravenna, Milan, or Aquileia. He conquered, however, partly in person, and partly by his lieutenants, Cantabria, Aquitania and Pannonia, Dalmatia with all Illyricum and Raetia, besides the two Alpine nations, the Vandalici and the Salici. He also checked the incursions of the Dacians by cutting off three of their generals with vast armies, and drove the Germans beyond the river Elba, removing two other tribes who submitted, the Ubi'i in and Sicambri into Gaul, and settling them into the country bordering on the Rhine. Other nations also, which broke into revolt, he reduced to submission. But he never made war upon any nation without just and necessary cause, and so far from being ambitious either to extend the empire or advance his own military glory, that he obliged the chiefs of some barbarous tribes to swear in the temple of Mars the Avenger that they would faithfully observe their engagements and not violate the peace which they had implored. If some, he demanded, a new description of hostages, their women, having found from experience that they cared little for their men when given as hostages, but he always afforded them the means of getting back their hostages whenever they wished it. Even those who engaged most frequently and with the greatest perfidy in their rebellion, he never punished more severely than by selling their captives, on the terms of their not serving in any neighboring country, nor being released from their slavery before the expiration of thirty years. By the character which he thus acquired for virtue and moderation, he induced even the Indians and Scythians, nations before known to the Romans by report only, to solicit his friendship and that of the Roman people by ambassadors. The Parthians readily allowed his claim to Armenia, restoring at his demand the standards which had been taken from Marcus Crassus and Mark Antony, and offering him hostages besides. Afterwards, when a contest arose between several pretenders to the crown of that kingdom, they refused to acknowledge anyone who was not chosen by him. The temple of Janus Quirinus, which had been shut twice only, from the era of the building of the city to his own time, he closed thrice in a much shorter period, having established universal peace both by sea and land. He twice entered the city with the honors of an ovation, namely after the war of Philippi, and again after that of Sicily. He also had three curial triumphs, for his several victories in Dalmatia, at Actium and Alexandria, each of which lasted three days. In all his wars he never received any signal or ignominious defeat, except twice in Germany, under his lieutenants, under his lieutenants Lolius and Varus. The former indeed had it more of dishonor than disaster, but that of Varus threatened the security of the empire itself. Three legions, with the commander, his lieutenants and all the auxiliaries being cut off upon receiving intelligence of this disaster he gave orders for keeping a strict watch over the city to prevent any public disturbance and prolong the appointments of the prefects in the provinces that the allies might be kept in order by experience of persons to whom they were used he made a vow to celebrate the great games in honour of jupiter optimus maximus if he would be pleased to restore the state to more prosperous circumstances this had formerly been resorted to in the Cimbrian and Marcian wars. In short, we are informed that he was in such consternation at this event that he let the hair of his head and beard grow for several months, and sometimes knocked his head against the doorposts, crying out, O Quintilius Varus, give me back my legions! And, ever after, he observed the anniversary of this calamity as a day of sorrow and mourning. In military affairs he made many alterations, introducing some practices entirely new, and reviving others which had become obsolete. He maintained the strictest discipline among the troops, and would not allow even his lieutenants the liberty to visit their wives, except reluctantly, and in the winter season only. A Roman knight, having cut off the thumbs of his two young sons, to render them incapable of serving in the wars, he exposed both him and his estate to public sale, But upon observing the farmers of the revenue very greedy for the purchase, he assigned to him a freeman of his own, that he might send him into the country and suffer him to retain his freedom. The Tenth Legion, becoming mutinous, he disbanded it with ignominy, and did the same by some others which petulantly demanded their discharge, withholding from them rewards usually bestowed on those who had served their stated time in the wars. The cohorts which yielded their ground in time of action, he decimated, and fed with barley. Centurions, as well as common sentinels who deserted their posts when on guard, he punished with death. For other misdemeanors he inflicted upon them various kinds of disgrace, such as obliging them to stand all day before the praetorium, sometimes in their tunics only, and without their belts, and sometimes to carry poles ten feet long, or sods of turf. After the conclusion of the civil wars, He never, in any of his military harangues or proclamations, addressed them by the title of fellow soldiers, but as soldiers only, nor would he suffer them to be otherwise called by his sons or step sons when they were in command, judging the former epithet to convey the idea of a degree of condescension inconsistent with military discipline, the maintenance of order, and his own majesty and that of his house. Unless at Rome, in case of incendiary fires, or under the apprehension of public disturbances during a scarcity of provisions, he never employed in his army slaves who had been made freedmen, except on two occasions, on one for the security of the colonies bordering upon Illyricum, and on the other to guard the banks of the Rhine. Although he obliged persons of fortune, both male and female, to give up their slaves, and they received their manumission at once, yet he kept them together under their own standard, unmixed with soldiers who were better born, and armed likewise after different fashion. Military rewards, such as trappings, collars, and other decorations of gold and silver, he distributed more readily than camp or mural crowns, which were reckoned more honorable than the former. These he bestowed sparingly, without partiality, and frequently even on common soldiers. He presented Marcus Agrippa, after the naval engagement in the Sicilian War, with a sea-green banner. Those who shared in the honors of a triumph, although they had attended him in his expeditions and had taken part in his victories, he judged it improper to distinguish by the usual rewards for service, because they had a right themselves to grant such rewards to whom they pleased. He thought nothing more derogatory to the character of an accomplished general than precipitancy and rashness, on which account he had frequently in his mouth these proverbs, Speude de hastened slowly. And, Asphales gar est amenon, hae erasus stratilitis, the cautious captains better than the bold. And, That is done fast enough, which is done well enough. He was wont to say also that a battle or a war ought never to be undertaken, unless the prospect of gain overbalanced the fear of loss. For, said he, Men who pursue small advantages with no small hazard resemble those who fish with a golden hook, the loss of which, if the line should happen to break, could never be compensated by all the fish they might take. He was advanced to public offices before the age at which he was legally qualified for them, and to some also of a new kind, and for life. He seized the consulship in the twentieth year of his age, quartering his legions in a threatening manner near the city, and sending deputies to demand it for him in the name of the army. When the senate demurred, a centurion named Cornelius, who was at the head of the chief deputation, throwing back his cloak and showing the hilt of his sword, had the presumption to say in the senate-house, This will make him consul, if you will not. His second consulship he filled nine years afterwards, his third after the interval of only one year, and held the same office every year successively until the eleventh, From this period, although the consulship was frequently offered him, he always declined it, until, after a long interval, not less than seventeen years, he voluntarily stood for the twelfth, and two years after that, for a thirteenth, that he might successively introduce into the forum, on their entering public life, his two sons, Gaius and Lucius, while he was invested with the highest office in the state. In his five consulships, from the sixth to the eleventh, he continued in office throughout the year, but in the rest, during only nine, six, four, or three months, and in his second no more than a few hours, for having sat for a short time in the morning, upon the calends of January, in his curile chair, before the temple of Jupiter Capitolinus, he abdicated his office, and substituted another in his room. Nor did he enter upon them all at Rome, but upon the fourth in Asia, the fifth in the isle of Samos, and the eighth and ninth in Tarragona. During ten years he acted as one of the triumvirate for settling the commonwealth, in which office he for some time opposed his colleagues in their design of a proscription. But after it was begun, he prosecuted it with more determined rigor than either of them, for whilst they were often prevailed upon by the interest and intercession of friends to show mercy, he alone strongly insisted that no one should be spared, and even proscribed Gaius Tauranius, his guardian, who had been formerly the colleague of his father Octavius, in the Aedileship. Junius Saturninus adds this farther account of him, that when, after the prescription was over, Marcus Lepidus made an apology in the Senate for their past proceedings, and gave them hopes of a more mild administration, he, on the other hand, declared, that the only limit he had fixed to the prescription was, that he should be free to act as he pleased. Afterwards, however, repenting of his severity, he advanced Titus Vinius Philippo Aemon to the equestrian rank, for having concealed his patron at the time when he was prescribed. In this same office he incurred great odium upon many accounts, for, as he was one day making an harangue, observing among the soldiers Penarius, a Roman knight, amid some private citizens, and engaged in taking notes, he ordered him to be stabbed before his eyes, as a busybody and a spy upon him. He was so terrified in his menaces, Titius Afer, the consul-elect, for having reflected upon some actions of his, that he threw himself from a great height, and died on the spot. And when Quintus Gallius, the praetor, came to compliment him, he concealed, and not yet venturing to make a search, came to compliment him with a double tablet under his cloak, suspecting that it was a sword he had concealed, and not yet venturing to make a search, lest it should be found to be something else. He caused him to be dragged from his tribunal by centurions and soldiers, and tortured like a slave, and although he made no confession, ordered him to be put to death, after he had, with his own hands, plucked out his eyes. His own account of the matter, however, is that Quintus Gallius sought a private conference with him, for the purpose of assassinating him, that he therefore put him in prison, but afterwards released him and banished him from the city, when he had perished either in a storm at sea, or by falling into the hands of robbers. He twice entertained thoughts of restoring the Republic, first immediately after he had crushed Antony, remembering that he had often charged him with being an obstacle to its restoration. The second time was in consequence of a long illness when he sent for the magistrates in the Senate to his own house, and delivered them a particular account of the state of the empire. But reflecting at the same time that it would be both hazardous to himself to return to the condition of a private person, and might be dangerous to the public to have the government placed again under the control of the people, he resolved to keep it in his own hands. Whether with the better event or intention is hard to say. His good intentions he often affirmed in private discourse and also published an edict, in which it was declared in the following terms, May it be permitted me to have the happiness of establishing the commonwealth on a safe and sound basis, and thus enjoy the reward of which I am ambitious, that of being celebrated for molding it into the form best adapted to present circumstances, so that, on my leaving the world, I may carry with me the hope that the foundations which I have laid for its future government will stand firm and stable. The city, which was not built in a manner suitable to the grandeur of the empire, and was liable to inundations of the Tiber, as well as to fires, was so much improved under his administration that he boasted, not without reason, that he found it of brick, but left it of marble. He also rendered it secure for the time to come against such disasters, as far as could be effected by human foresight. A great number of public buildings were erected by him, the most considerable of which were a forum containing the temple of Mars, the Avenger, the temple of Apollo on the Palatine Hill, and the temple of Jupiter Tonans in the capital. The reason of his building a new forum was the vast increase in the population, and the number of causes to be tried in the courts, for which the two already existing, not affording sufficient space, it was thought necessary to have a third. It was, therefore, opened for public use before the temple of Mars was completely finished, and a law was passed, that causes should be tried, the judges chosen by lot in that place. The Temple of Mars was built in fulfillment of a vow made during the War of Philippi, undertaken by him to avenge his father's murder. He ordained that the Senate should always assemble there, when they meet, to deliberate respecting wars and triumphs, that thence should be dispatched all those who were sent into the provinces in command of armies, and that in it those who returned victorious from the wars should lodge the trophies of their triumphs. He erected the Temple of Apollo in that part of his house on the Palatine Hill which had been struck with lightning, and which, on that account, the soothsayers declared the god to have chosen. He added porticos to it with a library of Greek and Latin authors, and when advanced in years, used frequently there to hold the senate and examine the rolls of the judges. He dedicated the temple to Apollo Tonans, in acknowledgment of his escape from a great danger in his Cantabrian expedition, when, as he was traveling in the night, his litter was struck by lightning, which killed the slave who carried a torch before him. He likewise constructed some public buildings in the name of others, for instance his grandsons, his wife and sister. Thus he built the portico and basilica of Lucius and Gaius, and the porticos of Livia and Octavia, and the theatre of Marcellus, He also often exhorted other persons of rank to embellish the city by new buildings, or repairing and improving old according to their means. In consequence of this recommendation, many were raised, such as the temple of Hercules and the Muses by Marcius Philippus, a temple of Diana by Lucius Cornificius, the temple of freedom by Asinius Polio, a temple of Saturn by Munatius Plancus, a theater, and other noble edifices by Marcus Agrippa. He divided the city into regions and districts, ordaining that the annual magistrates should take by lot the charge of the former, and that the latter should be superintended by wardens chosen of the people of each neighborhood. He appointed a nightly watch to be on their guard against accidents from fire, and to prevent the frequent inundations. He widened and cleansed the bed of the Tiber, which had in the course of years been almost dammed up with rubbish, and the channel narrowed by the ruins of houses. To render the approaches to the city more commodious, he took upon himself the charge of repairing the Flaminian Way, as far as Ariminum, and distributed the repairs of the other roads, amongst several persons who had obtained the honor of a triumph, to be defrayed out of the money arising from the spoils of war. Temples, decayed by time, or destroyed by fire, he either repaired or rebuilt, and enriched them, as well as many others with splendid offerings. On a single occasion he deposited, in the cell of the temple of Jupiter Capitolinus sixteen thousand pounds of gold, with jewels and pearls to the amount of fifty millions of sesterces. The office of Pontifex Maximus, of which he could not decently deprive Lepidus as long as he lived, he assumed as soon as he was dead. He then caused all prophetical books, both in Latin and Greek, the authors of which were either unknown or of no great authority, to be brought in, and the whole collection amounting to upwards of two thousand volumes he committed to the flames, preserving only the Sibylline oracles, and not even those without a strict examination, to ascertain which were genuine. This being done, he deposited them in two gilt coffers under the pedestal of the statue of the Palatine Apollo. He restored the calendar which had been corrected by Julius Caesar, but through negligence was again fallen into confusion, to its former regularity, and upon that occasion called the month Sixtilus, by his own name, August, rather than September, in which he was born, because in it he had obtained his first consulship, and all his most considerable victories. He increased the number, dignity, and revenues of the priests, and especially those of the Vestal Virgins, and when, upon the death of one of them, a new one was to be taken, and many persons made interest that their daughters' names might be omitted in the list of elections he replied with an oath if either of my own granddaughters were old enough i would have proposed her he likewise revived some old religious customs which had become obsolete as the augury of public health the office of high priest of jupiter the religious solemnity of the lupercalia with the secular and comopolitan games he prohibited young boys from running in the lupercalia and in respect of the secular games, issued an order that no young persons of either sex should appear at any public diversions in the night time, unless in the company of some elderly relation. He ordered the household gods to be decked twice a year with spring and summer flowers in the Campitalian festival. Next to the immortal gods, he placed the highest honors to the memory of those generals who had raised the Roman state from its low origin to the highest pitch of grandeur, he accordingly repaired or rebuilt the public edifices erected by them, preserving the former inscriptions and placing statues of them all, with triumphal emblems, in both the porticos of his forum, issuing an edict on the occasion, in which he made the following declaration. My design in doing so is, that the Roman people may require from me, and all succeeding princes, a conformity to those illustrious examples." He likewise removed the statue of Pompey from the Senate House, in which Gaius Caesar had been killed, and placed it under a marble arch, fronting the palace attached to Pompey's theatre. He corrected many ill practices which, to the detriment of the public, had either survived the licentious habits of the late civil wars, or else originated in the long peace. Bands of robbers showed themselves openly, completely armed, under the color of self-defense, and in different parts of the country, travelers, freedmen, and slaves without distinction were forcibly carried off and kept to work in the houses of correction. Several associations were formed under the specious name of a new college, which banded together under the perpetration of all kinds of villainy. The banditti he quelled by establishing posts of soldiers in suitable stations for the purpose. The houses of correction were subjected to strict superintendence. All associations, those only accepted which were of ancient standing and recognized by the laws, were dissolved. He burnt all the notes of those who had been a long time in arrear with the treasury, as being the principal source of vexatious suits and prosecutions. Places in the city claimed by the public, where the right was doubtful, he adjudged to the actual possessors. He struck out the list of criminals, the names of those over whom prosecutions had been long impending, where nothing further was intended by the informers than to gratify their own malice by seeing their enemies humiliated, laying it down as a rule that if any one chose to renew a prosecution, he would incur the risk of the punishment which he sought to inflict, and that crimes might not escape punishment, nor business be neglected by delay, he ordered the courts to sit during the thirty days which were spent in celebrating honorary games. To the three classes of judges then existing, he added a fourth, consisting of persons of inferior order, who were called ducenarii, and decided all litigations about trifling sums. He chose judges from the age of thirty years and upwards, that is five years younger than had been usual before, and a great many declining the office. He was with much difficulty prevailed upon to allow each class of judges a twelve-month vacation in turn, and the courts to be shut during the months of November and December. End of Caesar Augustus, part two.